What's Good Friends List, episode 83 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. Activision Studio Vicarious Visions has really been on quite a roll of late. From their outstanding work on the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy Remake Collection, to most recently developing the critically acclaimed Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remakes, the Albany Studio has really stood out in Activision's stable of developers. But with recent restructuring within the gaming giant, it looks as though that success hasn't been rewarded in the way that many would have liked to see with Vicarious Visions now becoming a permanent support studio for Blizzard. So, this week, we try to make heads or tails of Activision's decision to position one of their fan-favorite studios of recent memory to a studio now just focused on providing additional help to Blizzard projects compared to their own. And, with that same studio now rumored to be a crucial asset to the development of the long-rumored Diablo 2 remake, how fans of both the studio and the genre-defining IP should approach this news. Plus, we've got new details regarding IO Interactive's James Bond 007 project and where it fits into the lineage of the espionage titan. What does an IO developed Bond game have to do to provide an espionage experience that still finds that heart of Britain's favorite fictional son? Also, we've got new Halo Infinite news coming on a monthly basis now. We round up reviews on the medium and much, much more coming up on the newest jam-packed episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Bridget. Stop! You violated the law! Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Game Cash, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz wherever you get a podcast at, and follow us on Twitter at GP. GC podcast stay up to date with everything regarding the show video games like and our dope giveaways i'm your host as always travis white aka travelus on most internet platforms joining me as always my partner in crime my co-pilot mike Peepack. mike what's good what's going on and man the stock market game <laughs> and i and normally we don't bring this shit into it but the fact that it involves gamestop i feel it's pretty relevant to, <laughs> to what's going on right now but you know, a, a wise man once said, it's all about the game and how you play it, and then would, you know, kind of spit out a bunch of water from a water <laughs> bottle and hit people with sledgehammers. But, you know, <laughs> you're you're my you're my default go to finance. Uh, you're my financial consultant whenever it comes to all of this shit. So what the fuck is going on? Like, give me the give me the spark notes. Like, I, I understand it, but I guess fill people in who aren't, you know aren't as savvy to what's going on and why this is such a big deal, not only in, you know, gaming, because it involves fucking GameStop, but, like, just in general, like, kind of give people the, like, spark notes version of this. And then we can talk video games. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I was, you know, as I was right before show recording, I, I hopped in the shower because I was actually off work today. Thank God. And um, 
I was kind of just sitting there and I was debating on what I was going to say or how I was going to talk about this to try to keep it relevant to the show. So, oh, we're doing a head on, baby. We're head on. I think I think I hammered down exactly how to talk about this to prevent people from rolling their eyes or being like, this isn't a political or or an economic show. And you're right. It's not. It's a video game show, you know, but in this case, it 100 percent deals with GameStop stock, which is. Believe it or not, one of the biggest retail giants when it comes to gaming in his in in history and currently. And here's basically like a Spark Notes version of what exactly is going on with the GameStop stock for those of you that might not know, might not care, or at least might know on face value, like, oh, there's a squeeze. Like, yeah, there's a squeeze, but there's a lot more to it. So basically what you see and what's going on with the GameStop stock. Bottom line is there is huge hedge funds. Uh, and when I talk about hedge funds, I mean, there are conglomerates out there that pull a bunch of money together and then they go into the stock market and they, a lot of times they'll invest on mutual stock or mutual funds or create mutual funds, which basically means you break up a bunch of investments. You buy a bunch of stock over a, a multitude of different sectors, whether it be like gas and oil, energy, tech, manufacturing, military, there's a ton of different stocks that you can buy to kind of mix up this portfolio. Your portfolio is your entire investment, uh, you know, portfolio, basically everything that you're investment in. And mutual funds are a great way to mitigate risk and prevent yourself from becoming too exposed to a, a market failure in one sector or the other. Long story short, some of these big mutual funds, one specifically being Melvin Capital, but a few mutual funds shorted GameStop stock. They looked at GameStop stock and they said, hmm, this retailer isn't, isn't doing that great. What's the upside to this stock? Yada, yada. They come down to the consensus that they're going to short the stock. And it's not, you know, stocks are shorted every day. You know, people mm -hmm. people say stocks suck, blah, blah, blah. But Melvin Capital and these other stock people shorted the entire float, which means the entire amount of stocks available to be purchased by the public. They short this stock to the tune of 130% of the float, which means that there is only, if there's only a million dollars, if there's only a hundred shares available, which this isn't the case, but just to simplify the math, if there's a hundred shares available, Melvin stock went out and they shorted it by 130%, which means 130 shares, basically they overbought shorts on the stock, which left them open to a ton of risk on this. So building off of that, you go and you see these people Melvin Capital being the, the the main one earlier this week, they were so exposed that on the new year, just starting January 1st, they lost 30% of their entire mutual fund. And they ended up getting bought up by, uh, or uh, bailed out of their position by the next, by a few different entities. But the main one to really focus on is they got, they got bailed out um, by this company called Citadel Capital. And what Citadel Capital does is not only are they mega uber rich, like we're talking uber uber like not new world order rich but like super rich they are actually a major major player in the stock market because guess what the citadel capital are the people that help robin hood have liquidity to buy the stocks that their people order so they spend 2.75 billion dollars to bail out melvin <laughs> capital from this position when this happens, a lot of people, uh, Redditors alike, but then there's a lot of whales get into the GameStop stock and it goes from $140 and it spikes all the way up to like $350. Now, what happens now is Citadel 
who controls Robin Hood basically because Robin Hood has to go to Citadel um, to because they're what's called a, a market maker. They make the purchases and everything because they have the cash liquidity. Citadel comes to Robin Hood and says, "Hey, you got to cut the shit. You got to keep people from. They can't trade. They can't buy any more AMC. They can't buy any more uh, GameStop. They can't buy any more BlackBerry. They can't buy any more Nokia because we are just taking so many losses and we are way underwater on these investments." Okay, done, done and dusted. So Robinhood prevents people from investing in that shit. And basically, it all turns into this big shit storm with a whole market crash, and, and you just figure out that the, the game's rigged, and, and Citadel Capital's Wait a minute, wait a bastards. minute. Wait, wait, wait. That doesn't sound like the free market. <laughs> yeah, and, and... Wait a minute! <laughs> as, as far as everything else is concerned, just to kind of bring it back to gaming you know, as much as possible, mm-hmm. just so I can give a, an overlook here is realistically like GameStop was just the one picked out. It seems like in terms this of is, like, like it, 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 just, just for what it was selling at and the, like you were talking about being in a short, like it just happened to be GameStop yes, for like the and, meme of it. And like, at this ex- point. <laughs> exactly. And the biggest thing that people need to realize when it comes to this stock is a Reddit user by the name of Deep Fucking Value who has profited $44 million off of this trade. He risked 50000 well over a year ago. Mm-hmm. He came out with a YouTube video that's about an hour long, and it's a very deep dive, an analytical dive, into why this GameStop thing made no sense. And he did this in July of 2020. He made this hour-long video. Mm-hmm. So he exposed himself at fifty grand. But the, the, the story, the matter of fact is that this isn't, a bunch of people investing in in GameStop, the store. The the stock has completely been disconnected from the store. Yeah. It, the, people aren't investing in GameStop as a store, not their business model. There are a lot of things to be positive about. Ryan Cohen, founder of Chewy, who took on Amazon head-on with a online dog food pet company and beat Amazon. If you beat Amazon at <laughs> online sales, that's fucking huge. Amazon's the big dog. So Ryan Cohen takes over GameStop. That's one big thing. Last year, in a year of a pandemic, GameStop, yeah, it's down year over year. They had a billion fucking dollars come through the door in a fucking pandemic. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's new consoles. There's this, there's that. Bottom line is GameStop is not going fucking bankrupt. They're not right now. Are they going to in five years? Maybe. Maybe it's going to be sooner. But this year, they're not going fucking bankrupt. So this Reddit user takes a deep dive and he says, what the fuck's going on here? This stock's shorted 130%. Why? Oh, that's crazy. All these hedge funds are shorting this. This Melvin, blah, blah, blah. Melvin, Melvin. They're mm-hmm. overexposed to this. So he goes and he looks and he takes a dive at all this shit. And he says, hmm, huh, something's up. And you know what happened? The online community, deep fucking value, Reddit, they got these fucking pigs' hands in a cookie jar. That's what happened. (laughs) We caught their hands in the cookie jar. They fucking took it out on us in 2008 with all their bullshit fucking lending and all those fucking big money institutional practices that fucked the entire economy in 08. We got them. We caught them red fucking handed at their own game. That's why they're mad. So long story short, we get banned from trading that. So it tanks the market. And you know why? Because guess what? Deep fucking value. All these redditors, they go in, they do the research. The shorts are up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, these shorts come. The chickens come to roost, and these hedge funds are going to be fucking bankrupted because they are so naked short. Which, by the way, when you're naked short, which means you don't own the stock, but you own the shorts to it, it's fucking illegal. Mm-hmm. So these guys are illegally shorting the stocks. 
well in over their head because by all intents and purposes, it probably should have fucking went bankrupt. But anyway, they get caught in the cookie jar. But guess what? All these fucking big wigs at uh, Citadel, they have way too much skin in the game. They have way too much control. And we see Robin Hood bow down to the master because they have no choice. We see uh, Wee Bull bow down to the master because they have no choice. TD fucking Ameritrade bow down to the master because they have no choice. All these financial institutions are being run by these hedge funds. And, and it's like, it's not even like it's a hidden thing. It's in plain fucking sight for any average Joe to see mm-hmm. that the system is fucked. And everyone kind of knew it, but you were, some people, myself included, had a little bit of faith in capitalism because, you know what, like, there are rags to riches stories. And this mm-hmm. is one, and this is one where the average Joe is getting back. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And it, now it's, it's, it's like, not- the, it's like the thing that, to me, this is like, okay, so if capital capitalism in our country at this point which we'll see how that goes in the next 20 years. But like right now is the end all be all. And, you know, you love to see like some of the people now saying like, Oh, all these like hedge fund uh, managers and stuff like that. Like, Oh, well maybe they should, you know, not go and buy avocado toast and stuff like people memeing on it now. Well, if this, you know what, man, if fucking capitalism is the end all be all and this and that, it goes right back to them. You fucking play the game this way. And they're the ones whose hand got caught in the cookie jar. It's not our fault that like, just cause the average Joe found out a way to win at that system. Like they had been winning at for fucking decades. Oh, well you can't win. That's, that's not fair. The perfect example is like, say back in the day when we're playing smash brothers on N64 fucking wall street right now, right now is the kid who was losing went up and turned the N64 off because he knew he was going to mm. lose. Exactly. So, so yeah, that was talking, that was talking investments and, you know, by Mike P pack group and what not, you know, <laughs> but it, it's, it's just such the talk of the town right now that like I needed to bring it up because like you've done such a good job, like just in our circle of being like, yo, this is what to do. This is what's going on. This is why this is happening, you know, and, really now GameStop being swept up into all of this and just the nature of Reddit being involved in the internet in general, like has turned this into somehow a gamer centric thing when it really isn't. It's just, it's literally wall street getting caught with his pants down and people calling them out and then being like, Oh, nope, nope. It's just not happening. We, we, we own the game. You're not going to win it. So, right. And it's, it's, it's infuriating for a lot of people, myself included, because you know, like I said, I'm not someone who's like, I'm not someone who's like going to be, uh, I, I, I don't necessarily carry the water jug for, for capitalism. I do think that it's, it's the best option that we have, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing for me when I look at this, and like I said, it's, it's something that from a casual, from someone, I'm not trying to call anyone like, I'm not trying to say you're filthy casual, whatever, but from someone who's just like wondering what the hell is actually going on here, mm-hmm. it's just, Basically, if you remove GameStop from the entire equation, fuck it. It's not GameStop. It could Mm -hmm. be fucking Arby's. It doesn't matter. Nobody's buying this stock. Nobody's doing this because it's fucking GameStop. Yeah, is there some benefits? Is there some promise? The reason why the initial person who started this and and more people got on board was because there are a lot of positives behind GameStop right now. They're they're going, they are doing some of the right things to try to pivot to an online marketplace. They're kind of trying to survive. And the billion dollars through the front door helps. It's not going to go bankrupt at any time soon when it gets a billion dollars through the door. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't had a positive year since 2017. So fucking what? People removed the fact that it's GameStop. 
they caught someone's fucking hand in the cookie jar. It's like Volkswagen in 2008. The, you know, there's a, a, a super squeeze situation in play and we had a chance to make some money. And you know what? A lot of people did and some people are losing now, but it is, you know, it's just, that's why GameStop is successful from a stock standpoint. And it's, it has nothing to do with its business. It's business acumen. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's simply, it was the right time. To- it was the right stock at the right time. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And that that's spot on. I mean, really it is. It's just gaming has been caught up in this just for the sole fact that realistically, any other stock could have really been in there with a similar situation. It just happened to be GameStop and it literally plug anybody else in. But the sole fact of it also has been GameStop is just the meme behind it. So crazy fucking stuff. Anyways, Mike, let's talk video games. Now let's talk legitimate video games. Uh, what have you been, what have, just catch me up real quick before we get into the show? Cause we got a lot on the docket this week. Um, you know, catch me up. What have you been playing this week? Uh, this week I've just been playing, uh, actually a lot more chess and honestly i haven't really had a lot of time to play very much because pretty much every second of my day has been doing research on the stocks to see what was going on <laughs> um but as far as gaming is concerned i uh just been playing some halo and getting back into csgo a lot because of csgo matches and stuff so uh, i've been working on that and you know our team is uh two and one and open right now so hoping to keep that momentum going they lost the first match without me <laughs> um they just kind of ran into a buzzsaw the first match, but it is getting better for us. We're doing a lot better, so hopefully it, that continues. Nice, nice. Yeah, it, it, I've kind of been bouncing around to a lot of stuff. Um, it's been hard to kind of, you know, like, simmer down into one thing, necessarily. It's kind of been having that, like, gaming ADD, like I've talked about before, where it's like, I have a hard time focusing on one thing, just because nothing, one, not one specific thing is necessarily scratching an itch, but... Uh, my fiance and I wrapped up our, you know, multiple playthrough of Wolf Among Us uh, this past week. Great as always. Um, but I thought we've talked that game to death and a half. Um, outside of that, you know, just kind of hopping around a few different things. I kind of jumped back into The Witcher 3 to finally get around to playing the Blood and Wine expansion. Um, only put a few hours into that, but that's been great. Um, and then I got the itch to kind of play Monster Hunter World again. Um, I had started it maybe about a year after it came out, giving it a try. And I only put maybe like 10 hours into it or so at the time. And I was like, you know what? I dig it. You know, I'm enjoying this, but something else had popped up like a game had come out. And I was like, okay, I definitely want to play that. So jumped on that. But um, I wanted to jump back into it now that the PC version of it is basically caught up with the console version. So I wanted to jump back into that on PC and give that a try and really enjoying it, really, really enjoying it. But at the same time, you know, there's just so many things now coming out, like two, like we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes when we do our little review roundup for the medium that's out today as of recording, at least um, on the 28th. And that's a game that I really do want to play, um, you know, that being on game pass, that's going to take my attention away from that. So, you know, I'm hoping the medium is that game that kind of sticks me into, okay, this is what I'm going to be playing for the weekend or whatever, you know, and I haven't seen really estimates on how long the game is or whatnot, but um you know, in general, it's just been kind of like bouncing around to a ton of different things. I've, you know, played a couple CSGO matches, I played some league. Like, it's just been one of those weeks that there's nothing I really like have stuck to. But, you know, I have played like, it's been like five to 10 hours in a couple different things here or there. So hopefully now that the medium is out, it'll ha- I'll have something to kind of sink into a little bit. But with that being said, Mike, 
since we got a ton on the fucking docket this week, let's head into a button mash. We'll go through and run through some quick hit news stories from the past week. Get you guys caught up before we head into our big topics for this week. Starting with Microsoft has announced it was reversing its decision and will not change Xbox Live Gold pricing. Furthermore, free-to-play games will no longer require an Xbox Live Gold membership to play on Xbox consoles. Originally, a new post on the Xbox Wire had unveiled last week plans to increase the cost of Xbox Live Gold, the online gaming service Microsoft has been using on Xbox platforms for over 18 years. According to Microsoft, this is taking place in order to, or was taking place in order to evaluate the current quote value and pricing of the service it provided. As a result, Live Gold was going to jump up in price. However, though, if you were an existing Live Gold six month or 12 month subscriber, the price would continue to renew at the old price of $9.99 per month or $24.99 for three months. But the year-long price was going up to $120, and they weren't doing year plan, 12-year plans. They were only doing up to six months, and it was literally just going to be 10 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, and luckily, later that day, Microsoft, reading the room, said, cool, you know what, we're going to back this up. Because clearly this was, and, you know, I'm sure we'll wrap this up towards the end, but clearly it's similar to how, you know, different mobile companies were doing whenever you know, text messaging and data started to become a thing. It was, okay, you could have access to those, you know, if you don't want that, cool, but it's technically going to be cheaper for you to go to this plan. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, this is, was clearly a plan to push people away from standard Xbox Live Gold to go into a Game Pass Ultimate membership where you get, you know, Xbox Live Gold plus Game Pass for PC and standard and Game Pass proper as well for 15 bucks a month you know, spending, you know, where it's a much better value, but, you know, it, it, it's it's smart to, at least for them, that they read the room and said, okay, let's peel it back a little bit, but uh, moving on, though, Ninja Theory has announced that, the, uh, that with the studio now focusing on Senua Saga, Hellblade 2, Project Mara, and the Inside Project, Bleeding Edge, the multiplayer game they put out uh, 20, you know, it was the beginning of the year last year. It feels like a lot longer, though. Um, Bleeding Edge will no longer, or will receive no future uh, uh, content updates. Bleeding Edge's Twitter account announced the news will also, or the news, while also reassuring fans that even though the game won't be getting any new content, it will continue to be playable on Xbox and PC. Quote, with the studio now focusing on our new projects, Senua Saga, Project Mara, and the Insight Project, we have decided that there will be no further content updates for Bleeding Edge, Ninja Theory wrote. The game is still playable on Xbox and PC. Thank you to uh, thank you to the fans and keep teaming up and causing chaos. Resident Evil Village voice actor Jeanette Moss has died at the age of 39 following an eight-month battle with colon cancer. Moss, who pr- uh, played several characters in Capcom's upcoming Resident Evil game, including one of the witch sisters that make up the daughters of the house of... I still can't say this last name now. It's one of those things that you hear it 50 times, but I still can't say it every time it pops up. Dimash- Dimitrios. I don't know. I can't say it. The, the fucking tall vamp lady that everyone's standing over right now, like, and simping over. That's one of her daughters. Also suffered from Crohn's disease and had contracted COVID-19 last year. Details which were outlined by her fiancé, Dusty Warren, in a GoFundMe campaign that was set up to help recover her medical expenses at the time. Tencent has acquired a minority stake, or a minor stake, I'm sorry, in Don't Not Entertainment, the developers of Life is Strange, uh, Vampire, and Twin Mirror, for example, for 30 million euro, which is a little over $36 million in the United States. The 
funds raised will go towards self-publishing their IP on PC, console, and mobile. Hitman 3 is a major success for developer IO Entertainment, or Interactive, I'm sorry, which has already recouped all of its development costs for the game. Those costs were recouped just under seven days after the release of Hitman 3, according to GamesIndustry.biz. The success of the game is even more important for the studio, as Hitman 3 is the first game in the series self-published by IO Interactive. IO Interactive CEO Hakan Abrak told Game gamesindustry.biz that keeping the game's marketing and PR close to the development team was a huge benefit for Hitman 3's success. Quote, uh, we have been really happy with, uh, we've been really happy with the Hitman 3 journey, Abarak said. It has been a labor of love between our fans and everyone at the studio. As a developer and publisher, we are immensely proud that we can say Hitman 3 is already profitable. We have recouped the total project cost in less than a week. Psyonix is adding new visual options for Rocket League Arena, the Rocket League's Arena Neon Fields following reports from players of potential seizures. In early January, the loadout reported on yeah, the loadout reported on Neon Soak New Arena, noting that it was potentially causing seizures in some players. Uh, user Psyonix Psyonix tried to kill me. That's the first time I'm actually reading that username. <laughs> <laughs> Psyonix tried to kill me, made a post on the official Rocket League subreddit, which uh, started, quote, I am, I am epileptic, and the new map is giving me seizures. I tried complaining on Psyonix support and tweeting at them. Got no real answer than pretty much, oops, sorry, so I made a Reddit, and hopefully my voice is heard there. So, wow. I, I, I honestly like while I was putting the doc together I just didn't see the name it was one of those like oh shit that's like a reddit user name that I'm gonna have to you know butcher or whatever but once it's one of those things that you start reading it it hits you like fuck <laughs> but that person is not wrong <laughs> but, but that, nevertheless <laughs> nevertheless uh, catching up on some ESO Elder Scrolls Online stuff Mike about the new expansion coming up Bethesda has revealed the Elder Scrolls Online Blackwood, a new story chapter that serves as a prequel to the events of the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. It will launch on separate dates in June for PC and consoles. Revealed in a live stream on the Bethesda Twitch channel, the chapter will launch on PC June 1st and June 8th on consoles. Blackwood will task players with, quote, uncovering the schemes of the Daedric Prince Mayrun's Dagon, who served as a primary antagonist of Oblivion. 30 hours of story content is set to be added to the game, set over 800 years before the events of the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. The update will also introduce Oblivion Portal World events, quality of life features, and a companion system similar to the single-player Elder Scrolls games, where players will be able to recruit, develop, and customize NPCs to fight alongside them. The Lord of the Rings Golem has been delayed to 2022. Nacon, the new publisher, announced the news on Twitter confirming the company's involvement alongside Daedalic. Quote, we are for, uh, forming a fellowship with Daedalic, the publisher, the Lord of the Rings, or to publish the Lord of the Rings Golem, uh, Nacon's tweets reads. The game will, will be released in 2022 on Xbox and PlayStation consoles, Nintendo Switch, and PC. More news to come in the future. A new Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic game is reportedly in the works, and it is not being developed by EA and Bioware, the studio behind the original game. As reported by VGC, the latest rumor comes courtesy of credited Star Wars insider uh, Bespin Bulletin, who spoke on the recent B.O.B. The podcast, uh, B.O.B. of the podcast episode, about the project that is said to be in development outside of EA, and that, quote, we'll never guess who the studio is that's making the game. 
Uh, amongst my digging, I heard that there is a Knights of the Old Republic project in development somewhere, Bestman Bulletin said. Quote, I talked to a couple of people and I also found out that Jason Schreier said that it's not with EA and will never guess who the studio is that's making the game. Tencent, who, uh, Tencent has required a majority stake, another Tencent uh, investment here, majority stake in Clay Entertainment, the studio behind such games as Don't Starve and Mark of the Ninja. Clay Entertainment founder James Chang took uh, to the studio's forums to announce the news and to assure its fans that, that quote, as part of the agreement, Clay retains full autonomy of creative and operations across all aspects of the studios, including projects, talents, and more. Microsoft has announced that games with gold for February 2021 are Gears 5, the remastered version of Resident Evil, uh, Dandara Trials of Fear, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, and Lost Planet 2. Announced on Xbox Wire, Gears 5 Resident Evil and Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb will become available for those who have Xbox Live Gold on February 1st, 2021. And finally, Mike, the Mediums Review Roundup, like I was saying before, right now, being the first really i think yeah this is the first true xbox series x and s exclusive to come out i don't believe it's coming out on uh xbox standard it's coming out on pc also but game date with game pass you can play it right now metacritic right now looking at a 72 uh here's some expert excerpts from some of the reviews that kind of gives you a better you know view of why the scores may be a little middling uh gamestop gave it actually a 9 out of 10 Quote, eventually the medium's narrative threads begin to weave together, even connecting to the original goal of discovering Marianne's origins. The promise that everything somehow connects in some unforeseen and fascinating way is a thrilling reason to see the game all the way through. Survivor gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Quote, because it's a uh, macabre nature, the medium won't, uh, won't be for everyone and certainly isn't a killer app or a killer Xbox app, but it's definitely worth a try if you're an Xbox Game Pass subscriber. And finally, Dual Shockers gave it a 5.5 out of 10. Quote, despite its technical prowess and stunning visuals, the medium is a drag. From slow, uninteresting gameplay to confusing and poorly executed story, Bloober Team's latest makes for a good tech demo, but not much else. So, like, after all that, that was a really fucking jam-packed <laughs> button mash. Anything you want to touch on before we kind of head back through uh, into our big topics? Yeah, the something that comes to, you know, my attention probably immediately is the um voice actress uh Jeanette Mouse dying at age 39. Um obviously she um fought bravely for 8 months and you never lose a battle uh like that. You could you can succumb to the sickness or the illness, but anyone that ever fights cancer never truly loses. Uh it's just Sometimes in life, for whatever reason, things outside of our control exist that we can't really do anything about, and cancer seems to be that one thing so far. So, uh, we'll uh, think about her, you know, in, in sorrow whenever we play the game, whenever it comes out, because I think being an artist, uh, not getting to enjoy that your hard work and effort that you put into a game uh, like this one is very saddening, and it's. Uh, you know, very, very, uh, it's a very bad thing. Uh, obviously I'm just kind of at a loss for words that someone, you know, with her talent, with the amount of work that hard work that she put into the game, isn't going to get to see it through technically. Um, and that's just, that's, that's really sad. Um, outside of that, the Ninja Theory news, um, pretty interesting. Uh, in the, 
just simply because Ninja Theory and I, I love them. But uh, I, I guess, again, it, it comes back to if they're not going to make a good Ninja Gaiden, I'd rather them not make one at all. And then Microsoft, you know, rolling back the changes that they were looking to make. Um, obviously, you get your hand caught in the cookie jar, <clears throat> Melvin Capital. Um, you know, you're going to run into some resistance. And uh, I guess it's something that I'm just very happy that they kind of reversed stance on this because it was a pretty, you know, big time negative <laughs> for lack of better terms that they were, you know, wanting to make the changes that they were. So uh, it's great to see them kind of face the music and realize, oh shit, maybe we made a mistake here and make it right. So uh, good for them. And, you know, hopefully they keep making these, these good decisions going forward. Now. And I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on the, on the, you know, the uh, Xbox Live Gold stuff. And granted, I've been like a uh, Game Pass Ultimate member now for well, well over a year now at this point. I think for Gears 5 was whenever I signed up for it. So I can get it early or something like that. I can't remember how it worked. But um, yeah, like I'm I'm a huge, obviously we're huge fans of that service. But the sole fact is like not everybody has super great internet access to be able to download stuff 24 7 where game pass maybe doesn't make the most sense for them but they still have decent enough internet to play games online that it's like okay yeah like there are some people who that service just isn't necessarily applicable for but considering like you know i i get i get what they're trying to do and they're trying to say okay obviously we're trying to move from this format of service to this format of service and stop supporting that and do this and we want to merge everyone into that like I get it, but it's one of those things that's like, one, read the room, and two, like, you're doubling the price. Like, that's a bit mm -hmm. of an ask. <laughs> that is, like, a bit of an ask and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, one thing to be Like, okay, go up value. 20 bucks, maybe, in yeah. a year. Like, okay, but fucking holy shit, man. Doubling it? That's... I'm glad, I'm glad, though, it was changed, and more options will never hurt you, realistically, if they gotta suck it up. Microsoft has literally unlimited amounts of money, for the most part, so, like, you know, they'll figure it out, type of thing, you know. Oh, God. So, they gotta keep another service, a standalone one, my God. But, <laughs> anyways, Mike, since we got along the docket, let's head into our big topics for this week, and this is kind of a bittersweet one to start off. And hopefully by the end of it, we kind of like by the end of our stories end on a better note. Um, but it, it starts out rough. So uh, instead of dancing around, I'm just getting into it. Activision merges Blizzard and Vicarious Visions. This comes from Ad Adam Bankhurst over on IGN as always link in the description. Activision Blizzard has confirmed that Vicarious Visions, the developer behind such titles as Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 and Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, is officially being merged into Blizzard Entertainment. As reported by GamesIndustry.viz, the Vicarious Visions team of about 200 people will now be employees of Blizzard and are, quote, fully dedicated to existing Blizzard games and initiatives. This means Vicarious Visions will no longer be creating games as a lead developer. Quote, after collaborating with Vicarious Visions for some time and developing a great relationship, Blizzard realized there was an opportunity for Vicarious Visions to provide long-term support, a representative said to GamesIndustry.biz. However, Activision Blizzard did not reveal what the team has slash will be working on going forward. 
Vicarious Vision Studio head Jen O'Neill has been promoted to Blizzard ex- excuse, eh, Blizzard Executive Vice President of Development. There we go. And will be part of Blizzard's leadership team and will report directly to Blizzard President J. Allen Brack. Simon Ebjir, I think I said that right, who was the Chief Operating Officer for Vicarious Visions, will take over the studio head role from O'Neill. Vicarious Visions was founded in 1990 and was acquired by Activision in 2005. The studio has worked on everything from Guitar Hero, Spider-Man, Tony Hawk, Crash Bandicoot, Destiny, Skylanders, and much, much more. Founding members, uh, Catherick Bala and Guha Bala, uh, departed the company in 2016 in order to establish uh, Velen Studios, the developer development studio behind Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. And kind of a follow-up to that, too. Vicarious Visions reportedly brought into Blizzard to work on Diablo 2 Remake. This as well comes from Adam Banghurst over on IGN. Link in the description, yada yada, you get the gist. Following the news of Vicarious Visions has been merged into Blizzard Entertainment, a new report says the studio was brought into Blizzard to work on the Diablo franchise, including a planned remake of Diablo 2. As reported by Bloomberg, Vicarious Visions, the studio behind games such as Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, Crash Bandicoot, and Sane Trilogy, has been working with Blizzard since last year, even though the announcement of its merger was only made today, January 2nd. Up until 2020, the Diablo 2 remake was set to be developed by Blizzard's Team 1, which is located at its Irvine, California campus, and was the go-to group for reworking classic games. Its latest title, Warcraft 3 Reforged, was not received positively and currently has a 59 on review aggregate aggregate site metacritic which also happens to be blizzard's lowest score to date ign gave warcraft 3 reforged a 7 out of 10 saying it's quote is an uninspiring remaster but warcraft 3 itself is still a great game nearly two decades later internal documents reviewed by bloomberg pin the game's failures on poor planning miscommunication and a rushed release due to financial pressure from management among other forces One example given to that, following the game's reveal in November 2018, it began taking pre-orders for 2019 before letting most of the development team know of the release window. Blizzard and Team 1 obviously didn't want to make the same mistakes with the much-anticipated Diablo 2 remaster, and following a, quote, post-mortem, Blizzard ended up pulling the remaster from the team and putting the division behind Diablo 4 in charge. Vicarious Vision is also said to be working on this project, which is also known as Diablo 2 Resurrected. So, I'll be honest. This is a really, really tough pill to swallow. You have Vicarious Visions, one of, really, hands down, the best studios within Activision proper in terms of, you know, their kind of stable of development studios, especially when it comes to goodwill and things like that. You know, they have they have not only this critical acclaim, but they have just a ridiculous ton of goodwill from the gaming community from their type, most recently, Crash Insane Trilogy and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 being two of the best Blizzard title or Blizzard Activision titles specifically to come out of recent memory that literally all of gaming seems to kind of agree on like, yes, this is good. This is good. More of this, please. You know, so. It's something really Activision specifically Blizzard have needed for quite a while. And really their reward for crushing these last few projects. Now you're getting designated as a support studio to Blizzard. Not necessarily, hey, you're falling under Blizzard now and you're going to make Blizzard games, but you are leading the project on this. You are the, you know, prop you're a Blizzard proper studio where you are going to be leading development on things like that. You know, so you know, like, this is fucking a spot-on example of what the gaming community is trying to not see regularly. <laughs> like, so, while saying that, though, Mike, 
you know, gaining a studio of that caliber who is on a fucking heater and a half being put on one of the worst kept secrets in gaming, the long room Diablo two remake that, you know, we're both, you know, would be pretty excited about being fans, you know, is still very welcoming to hear as a fan. Now that doesn't mean, you know, I'm happy about it because they should be, you know, heading the projects themselves front and center from the beginning. But, you know, as I have more faith in them than blizzard proper or team one or anything like that. So, you know, what do we make of this, Mike? How do we, as both people who, you know, not only comfort games in a somewhat professional manager manner and, you know, just fans of the industry, you know, the game doubles or, you know, really the games that Vicarious Visions has made. And of course, you know, Diablo IP, you know, how do we tackle this all properly as just, you know, people covering this, fans of both the IP, the studio, what have you, you know, the Diablo 2 remake is something we've wanted for a long time. And, you know, we've known about through the grapevine and whatnot, but knowing that it's in the breath in a roundabout way that caused a studio who has been crushing it to become just a straight support studio, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't sit right. You know, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I am really sad because the... um the Tony Hawk remakes that came out were so great. I had so much fun with them. I thought they were fantastically done. I thought that it paid homage in a really tasteful way to um, Tony Hawk, the uh, classic games. I thought mm-hmm. that, you know, there's not a whole lot else that could have been done to make it that all that much better, to be honest. And, uh, you know, just overall development studio, you know, kind of being put on the back burner or whatever you just released, I didn't get the sales numbers or anything, but just from me playing it mm-hmm. specifically, like I could tell that the game was going to do like be successful. Uh, when it comes down to it, just bottom line, the gameplay is amazing. It's so smooth. And I was really impressed with the way that they, you know, kept the game simple. Mm-hmm. You know, they used the kiss method. They kept it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. And not only did they keep it simple, which paid huge dividends for them in the gameplay. But, you know, they just did the right things with the gameplay to make it a little bit like, because um, Tony Hawk 1 especially is a little clunky when it comes to, you know, landing tricks, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. It's a little clunky. But the biggest thing that I noticed from it was like, they removed all the clunk. It was smooth to to land, to skate. That entire process is extremely smooth in this game. Mm-hmm. The thing that, I loved so much about it was not so much just it being smooth. The fact that they made these like quality of life adjustments and didn't lose the tone of the game, which is what made it so successful back whenever it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really happy with the way that the game was, was done. I still remain happy to this day. Um, it's one that's kind of backburnered for me just because there's been a lot going on. I kind of overdid it when it first came out and I first bought it, I spent a lot of time playing it and that's not a bad thing per se, but it was just something that like I beat the first game and hundred percent of it. And then the second game I got to 88% was like, Whoa, because it felt like a grind and not like I was that in, like I was enjoying it. Like I was enjoying it. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but I kind of have this syndrome with games where like I grind the piss out of games. And it's Mm -hmm. like the mission isn't complete until it's complete. And that was a game that I enjoyed so much from the art style to everything about it, I enjoyed so thoroughly that I wanted to make sure that it was a slower burn that I really got the full, you know, Tony Hawk experience. And I, in the end, I'm glad that I waited because now that, 
you know, we're talking about a little bit more. I'm going to go back and play it. Mm -hmm. But I think tonight on the docket, well, I have to go to my parents' house and fix their computer for them. But what I think I'm going to do tonight, this evening, if we're not gaming, uh, I think I'm going to end up just diving into Resident Evil 7 here and getting that playthrough going because, um, you know, the news with uh, the voice actor there. But I also, you know, I'm intrigued by the medium and want to give that a go. But, you know, Tony Hawk is one game that I really want to go back and dive into, but I'm really hoping the only positive that I, that I can really, the only really positive that I can really take out of this mm-hmm. is that because vicarious visions did such a stellar job on the remake of Tony Hawk two, me talking about it more and more while I'm disappointed because they kind of lose their freedoms in some sense when it comes to blizzard being owned by 10 cent. We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, it's just, I'm I'm genuinely kind of pumped because they did the Tony Hawk remake so well that I'm hopeful that, you know, they're going to do the same for the Diablo 2 remake, which, by the way, as much as I love Tony Hawk, Diablo 2 is my fucking baby. Oh and my I, god, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I've been clamoring for a D2 remake because I love the game so much. But it's also another one of those games where it's like, if you're not going to do it right, don't even bother. True. So I'm just really hoping that because they got this team to work on it, I'm really hoping that this is the you know correct direction that they needed to be able to do do it the right way. So I don't lose, you know, so you don't lose. Basically, you don't lose the goods. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. And that's where I think my concern kind of comes into where I'm like you. Vicarious Visions fucking crushed everything that they've really kind of handled. Uh, I've never been a true Crash Bandicoot person necessarily. Like, I played the games when I was younger. They're, they were, you know, they're good. They're whatever. I never had that true, like, nostalgia for Crash necessarily as some other people did as being more of a, you know, Nintendo kid growing up than a direct PlayStation kid. I got the PlayStation after the N64 type of thing. So, like... You know, I was more, I'm more nostalgic to Zelda, Mario, things like that, whenever it comes to franchises outside of a few PlayStation franchises, but Crash not being one of them, but playing the Insane Trilogy in 2017 on, you know, PlayStation consoles at that time, then coming to, you know, uh, Xbox and whatnot later, you know, playing it at that time, I'm like, this is fucking perfect. This is, you know, I'm, I can appreciate what the Crash games have you know, we're doing it that time now that I'm a little bit older while, you know, I'm not the deepest platforming fan in the world, like keeping so much of the heart of that, of what those games did well and in even what they didn't do, but keeping true to that vision of what those games were and bringing it to a more modern sense with obviously modern graphics and whatnot, but where you're not just, you know, putting, you know, quick, it, like it, this is it's a perfect example of doing a good remake compared to just a remaster or just you know an upres or anything like that like we saw with um the uh mario 3d all-stars and stuff like that like a lot of people were complaining about mario 64 and things like that that it's just like no this is poorly done where you see that from a ground up remake where they're bringing in the original mechanics of the game and keeping it true to the actual vision of the game but doing it so well in such a polished manner that it speaks to both new and old fans alike. So seeing that with Tony Hawk again this year, or well, I guess last year now, technically, I gotta get used to that. Um, Last year that it's like, 
you know, this really was starting to become one of those studios that almost like a blue point in a way, like the granted blue point for the most part works pretty directly with Sony now, but who this is a studio that, okay, you want to do that remake. You want to do that reimagining like they did, like blue point did with uh, shadow of the Colossus and demon souls now. And you know, the list goes on, uh, you know, this is who you give that to. This is that studio that, you know, blind faith is going to do, do good at this point because they've crushed everything that's come to towards them. So to me, that doesn't, you know, seeing how that, how that is like, part of me wants to be jazzed about that. Cause I'm like, I, we've talked about it for so long. Like we're hyped at the, the thought of having a D2 remake. Like that's great. Bringing D2 for what it is into the 21st century and making it a modern game on PC, especially with how, you know, a lot of people have taken Diablo two and their opinions on that. And, you know, would be such a great transition piece to Diablo four and, you know, kind of regaining that faith for a franchise you know, it's great to see them get that opportunity to work on that because I know if they're eventually going to be kind of leading this development, that's great. I worry, though, that that won't be the case, though, that they're not going to be given full control of this, of that project. I don't want to say that IP, but that project in general, where they... <sighs> It's a studio that has done so well and rewarded with, okay, now you're shackled. Where, sure, they kind of were to begin with, but to the degree that, okay, they have, you know, it's them as a studio working on this project. Nobody coming in, you know, maybe for some reason you're bringing in somebody outside to help with, you know, to provide a little support. Where now it seems like they're becoming the support. Now, hopefully... You know, the reports are true that, you know, hey, they are going to be moving in and really overseeing this project with Blizzard because that's a smart move. If you ask me, Blizzard is a Blizzard is a publisher right now that really needs a lot of goodwill that they need right now. A lot of their IP are struggling, you know, in terms of not only popularity, but with goodwill to their fan base, um, you know, and to especially Diablo more than anything needs it. I mean, we're we're going to start to see more of the Diablo Immortal memes popping up again. Uh, and not surprisingly, that is previewing very well. And I probably will end up playing it because I just love dungeon crawlers and Diablo and whatnot and isometric RPGs. But like, you know, I I just really, really, really hope that this studio who has that much talent and that much they have they just have that secret sauce that perfectly encapsulates what it takes to make a good remake a good reimagining of a classic experience compared to so many others that i just really hope that's not taken for granted and really they end up losing that image of themselves and that ability to be that studio um you know I, I just don't want to see them get lost in the shuffle of Blizzard, you know, and it, it's likely it could happen. It just, you hope and pray not because that's, you want to see that succeed. Me as a Diablo fan, you as a Diablo fan, Mike, you just want these IP that we have so much connection to, to succeed. Not only that, but you and I who both enjoyed Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, you know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, like these Titles that have just absolutely crushed it that we've raved about, knowing the talent behind these studios, it should be a match made in heaven, but 
when we get into the bureaucracy of these you know mega publishers especially one that is a diablo who used to be they almost used to be that um you know kind of how bethesda used to be almost that not underdog but you know almost that feeling of by the fans for the fans like you know when you're getting a diablo prod or you're getting a blizzard project it is going to be very in line with what gamers want now it, it re it was good they were always good at taking what had worked in the past listening to people's feedback listening to pe what people want and bringing those new ideas into the game and you know developing their games around the fan bases where now they're just a mega corporation and you know you just hope it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of that but I don't know. I'm still excited for a D2 remake. I know you are, right? You have to be. Yeah. yeah. There's no way you can't be excited about that type of thing. So, but as it is, Mike, let's move into our next one here. IO Interactive is planning to double its staff and open a second studio for their James Bond project. This comes from James Trofton over on The Gamer, as always, link in the description. IO Interactive is being handed the reins to the James Bond IP to make a video game all about the suave womanizer with a questionable history that stretches back as far as the uh, 1950s. But IO is giving its own unique take rather than adapting Craig Moore, Connery, or whoever else. But is IO ready? The short of it is, no, the company was open about as much, but it intends to expand so it can be ready for James, for James Bond. For context, it began independent in 2017 while also keeping the Hitman and Freedom Fighters franchises. As of writing this, it employs around 200 employees and, naturally, IO has other IP beyond Bond to work on, so not all can be dedicated to the British spy. As such, IO Interactive is looking to expand its staff from 200 to 400 by opening another studio in Sweden. There's a lot hitching on this given that Bond has been, in essence, banned from video games due to the squeamishness towards excessive violence from the IP holders, with the last one being in 2012. This was an FPS centered around Daniel Craig's take from Activision called 007 Legends. IO, IO Interactive Director Hakan Abrik revealed, quote, It's very, very special. A boy's dream. Some, sometimes it's still a little hard to understand that it's us making James Bond. According to Danish website DR, IO Interactive isn't just pinning at, er, isn't just pining after a singular entry. The word trilogy is even on everyone's mind after all, but they are aiming to build a Bond James Bond universe. Quote, today we have 200 employees and I expect that we will have over 400 employees over the next few years. So, there's no doubt that bonds er, that the bond agreement means an insane amount to us. IO Interactive, James Bond, IO Interactive's James Bond game is still years away, but if the excitement of the director himself is anything to go by, it should be safe in, the hand, in safe hands, especially given that it has garnered the approval of MGM and EON Productions, the two who have been notoriously hard to pitch a game, James Bond game to. So, while this title was really a ways off still, it's definitely exciting to see the buildup already to the development alone on this game, given IO's success with Hitman 3 that we literally just talked about already, and some of the new tidbits we've kind of learned about the game's development, you know, upping the staff size in the new studio, being a unique original Bond and story, you know, it's not a license, just a licensed movie game type of thing, this is a unique story to Bond, a unique Bond itself, you know, kind of akin to that of, you know, a Marvel Spider-Man or something like that, so, Knowing how sacred EOM Productions and MGM really viewed the Bond license being 
disappointed and not quote unquote worthy enough until they got that pitch from IO and being like, okay, cool. Yeah. You go ahead and take it. And knowing how critically acclaimed the newest iteration of the Advanced series is Mike, what are you hoping to see from IO's bond title? I know we touched on it a little bit back before whenever it was first announced and whatnot, but you know, what does it need to really not only be as successful as a bond game, but really just also just as successful espionage game in general especially whenever you think about too given the potential competition it may have by the time this comes out in perfect dark and even a rumored siphon filter reboot on the sony side like what does io interactive have to do to have that secret sauce to have what makes a good espionage spy game and more importantly a good bond game in general for this to succeed i see a game or at least i think you know a game that kind of has a similar style to maybe not as in-depth as uh, Splinter Cell, but this genre of game, uh, the espionage game, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. is pining for a, you know, true espionage. I mean, I don't know how to really explain it other than like a spy game, but previously like previous iterations of these movies have focused a lot more on the running gun aspect of it mm-hmm. you're always fighting you're always shooting which is like that's cool but you know it's missing a lot of the spy elements that some people might be looking for out of a game like this um i think that you miss the mark on a spy game when there is little to no spy activity um there's literally no part of the games that you feel like a spy in previous games that is Mm -hmm. i feel like a game that might have done a little bit of a better job at providing that experience would be a game like um mission impossible i felt like mission impossible did a spectacular job at a spot a a true experience a true you know espionage experience Mm -hmm. and that you know just kind of speaks to the not only is Mission Impossible might have been a bit more upscale when it comes to the spy things, sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can just clearly tell from the games that that's the kind of feel that Mission Impossible, the game, wanted to go for. And obviously, too, like, Bond's history is much more, while the, you know, narrative behind Bond and the world building and whatnot has remained very, you know, still held up long term. Bond's history has become much more, uh, it doesn't necessarily carry over well into a modern society with some of the things he did with women and whatnot like that, where, where it hasn't, it hasn't necessarily, that part hasn't aged like a fine one where, you know, when you look at Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible is a nineties made, you know, entity IP in general, in terms of the film version of it, you know, that, you know, the, uh, the Tom Cruise version of Mission Impossible is very much like built with, you know, it's built in a much different time and carrying much different values and things like that, where if you ask me, Bond has still been, you know, absolutely still very good and has transitioned well. But I think people are now trying to like, and this is a good example, trying to move away from, you know, maybe some of the shitty things <laughs> Bond did back in the day, being a piece of shit to women, you know? Yeah, I that's true. I I definitely agree with that. And the womanizing thing, the womanizing nature that you know James Bond has certainly 
um, you know, comes to mind when you talk about what basically when you're saying exactly what you're saying about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was for lack of better terms, obviously a big part of the movies was him being a womanizer. But I do feel like, honestly, like with Goldeneye, at least that was a little bit, mm-hmm. that was a less important part of it. You know, it still happened, but it wasn't so integral as like part of the movie because it's like, in the older movies, like me and my roommate Dom tried, uh, we tried watching um, one of the older Bond movies, and it was just so bizarre how like any girl he spoke to just like dropped her drawers for him pretty much instantly. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Like I just couldn't believe it. Like when I watched it, I was literally like, uh, "Okay, like you, like you don't." There's no plot reason for her him just to bang anything that moves. It's just that's Bond, and it's like. Uh, Okay. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. It was just so bizarre that that was a thing. But, right. you know, that was James Bond back then. And I do I feel think pretty that... safe that's probably not going to be an IO's game. Or at least oh. to that magnitude in that where it's like, oh, no, you're just a piece of shit. Like, I'm sure there will be a love interest. But, like, come on. Like, he, he definitely won't be over there just like, I am man, you have sex with me. Literally. <laughs> and I am really excited for the game because I think that when we talk about what you know what went maybe not necessarily what even what what went wrong per se but as far as what you know could have been done a little differently with this game in general as far as previous ips things of that nature or uh, previous iterations of this ip the biggest thing to me is just the op the the opportunity there is for the true espionage part of the game i think that you're going to see IDO make a conscious effort to try to further that um, rather than just the run and gun shooting that GoldenEye kind of offered. And I I realize that GoldenEye, especially compared to the newer versions of this game, it wasn't so much about the, the sex appeal and things of that nature, like the older, like the older movies were. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do feel like even with Goldeneye, they kind of missed an opportunity to be able to really um, play up some of the espionage parts of that movie in, in general also, where it was more of a, uh, I guess you could call it, um, you know, it is a great game and it, it paid homage to the movies. And I realized that the movies are are a little bit less about spying and they've always been a little bit more about the sex and this and that. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like if you disconnect this game, this IP from the movies, I feel like you have a really strong opportunity to really showcase what an espionage game for James Bond could actually look like. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm looking forward to is actually getting to experience the spy side of James Bond instead of just like the run and gun, um, portion of it because even though that running gun portion of it is you know very fun Mm -hmm. i do i do feel like there's a lot to there's a lot that this game can offer outside of that you know you saying that actually is a really really good point and something i really you know i guess i don't want to say didn't think of but didn't think of contextualizing in that fashion where you look at you look at you know and while obviously as we were saying, we've had our qualms with 
how, you know, the older Bond films translate, you know, from some aspects of James Bond's character, but like... Or just blatantly don't translate, but right, yes. <laughs> right, and I say that in a sarcastical fashion, but, but you get what I mean, where it's, you look at, you look at a James Bond movie from, you know, 50 years ago, whatever, you know, at this point, you look at films, you know, with Sean Connery and, you know, as they've kind of evolved into now where we are with Daniel Craig, those movies are vastly different. And those bonds are vastly different where you see a bond that literally was more, you know, focused on getting information, focusing on trying to be more of a spy where now a Daniel Craig bond is much more of an action hero. It's not necessarily like, and granted, even then with Sean Connery, you did have the like those action moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is, you know, quintessential bond to a degree. But what I love most about this idea of having this is having, like you're saying, a true espionage experience where you look at Hitman and specifically the newer trilogy of Hitman games that IO has put out and IO has been at the heart of. And you see how those games are played, how they're approached, how they approach stealth combat and things like that. And obviously a Bond film doesn't or can't completely be all stealth or anything like that. But the idea of taking so many aspects of Hitman's gameplay and infusing them into the Bond license is just so, so, so refreshing and energizing to think of. Um, Having that experience where, you know, and I think almost Bond to a degree could have that breath of almost like we've talked about before, like a resident evil where resident evil, you know, a franchise we love a lot. You know, one of the great things about it is it's so, it has so much bandwidth to it where it can have different styles of games within it. You could have now the mainline games have a first person, you know, perspective where it's more of a horror actual horror emphasis on it where you look at a resident evil four which aligns more with it's it's more campy in parts of it but in a good way it's a great third person zombie style game you know over the shoulder when you also look at the original resident evil and it's isometric and it's much more claustrophobic and you know things like that where it has this bandwidth where it could be different style games and hell resident evil five not a great survival horror game, but a hell of a co-op game to play, you know, and it's much more of a third person shooter. So like they're all good in their own right to a degree, not talking about you resident evil six or anything like that, or some of the like operation raccoon city or some of the dog shit titles like that. But you know, (laughs) and I think a lot of people are safe saying that like, you know, but the fact of the matter is it has bandwidth. And I think that could be applicable with the bond franchise where you could have experiences like a GoldenEye, like something like that. Hell, even the person who did GoldenEye Source, like you could have experiences like that, a first-person shooter-esque experience, but you could also have these kind of, you know, mission, mission-focused mission experiences like a Hitman that you could fit a Bond into that template so easily that it's so transferable. Like, it's just, it's one of those just, one of those like, this just makes too much sense not to do. Um, you know, and, and I'm just so happy we're getting to see that. And it was one of those, like, I remember being at, you know, I think that was a day I actually had to go into the office and not work from home. Like being in there, seeing that pop up on Twitter and being like almost the Indiana Jones and uh, Machine Games, you know, kind of reaction where I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, that is, yes, yes, that is, that makes so much sense. Like more so than, you know, Machine Games, Indiana Jones, but point being, 
taking an IP like that that has so much bandwidth to it that you could see doing so much with and being like, yes, give it to a really talented studio and just let them go fucking buck wild and see what they do. So I'm all for this. I am so excited for this game. That is like one of my like already most anticipated games of whenever the next three years. Um, it'll be a day one purchase for me easily, um, you know, because I, I definitely want to cover that game. But anyways, Mike, let's move into our last news article for this week and kind of a quick one to wrap it up. Like I said, I want to wrap on a good note because this is something we've been asking for for a long time, I think, and asking for from our favorite studio out there, 343 Industries, right? So 343 Industries promises monthly Halo Infinite updates for fans. This comes from Alex Calvin over on VG247, as always, link in the description. The studio wants to take its audience behind the scenes more often. Microsoft three, Microsoft's 343 Industries studio has said that it will be giving updates about Halo Infinite every month. In a post on Reddit, Brian Sketch Gerard said that the developer would be providing more regular information about the upcoming sci-fi shooter with the first of these updates coming in just a few days. So hopefully we'll have more to report on that starting next week. Quote, we're committed to at least a monthly high-level updates for the next Insider Infinite, er, yeah, Inside Infinite, which is coming out later this week, Gerard wrote. Quote, this month, we're talking with members of the Sandbox team to share more insight into their vision for Halo Infinite and the work they're doing. To manage expectations, we won't have world premiere big screenshots or huge things like, like a date to announce, but our goal is to offer our community more context and insight into our team and the game we're making while we're also awaiting the larger beats and full marketing machine later this year. This comes in the wake of Microsoft showing off the new Halo game last year, but fans were left disappointed by the state of the project. Halo Infinite was initially set to be an Xbox Series X and S launch title, but was delayed until 2021. The studio has promised that the final release will boast improved graphics and more. So, like I said, I think it's safe to say that communication was always our biggest issue with the development of Infinite up until its gameplay reveal in August of last year. And really a commitment to straightforward communication in a post-delay world is just literally so welcomed. That is the easiest way to just, you know, avert bad press and different things like that. It's just to be, I think more people will be okay with bad news if you're just upfront with them and realistic with them. Um, and Something like this is very much in that vein. So, Mike, what are some of the biggest sticking points of this game that you're hoping to learn each month as we kind of lead into Infinite's launch later this year? Like Sketch said, we're not going to be getting, you know, every month this big, you know, massive screenshot dump or gameplay reveals or, you know, a release date every single month or something like that of that level. But we're going to get a lot of information, a lot of deep dive things, I think, a lot of more nuanced things that, you know, fans have been asking for with this game leading up to it, hell, even last year, now almost a year later at this point, you know, what are some of these things you're hoping to learn each month as we kind of get closer to that fall date now? Uh, I am genuinely hoping to see what they changed because if their big thing was to completely kind of overhaul the game because of a lot of different things, really, um, that could have, you know, necessarily been determined. People could say that it was bad or this or that. Mm -hmm. I want to hear exactly what they're doing to remedy the bad game, if you will, if that's why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. They truthfully thought that the game was bad, then I want to hear what they're doing to fix it. And that entails a lot. That entails some soul searching. That entails, you know, 
honesty, um, what was wrong in the first or what went wrong in the first place, what they're doing to make it right. All of those things have, have to be talked about when you're discussing, you know, why a game is, is the, you know, why a game's completely being redone the way that this game basically is. Mm-hmm. So to me, as long as we hear these things, I will be, you know, relatively happy because, you know, that's something that it does honestly take a lot of, it's, it's admirable that 343 as a company is willing to kind of bite the bullet and say, you know, our bad, let's make this right. And, and they're doing that. And that's really cool to me because it, it's not easy. We see a lot of developers and a lot of studios they are either stubborn and won't admit when they're wrong or they just refuse to believe that they're wrong. I don't know what, you know, what is driving the, some of these decisions that they make or why they can sometimes almost seemingly be too proud to admit when they're wrong. But I'm excited because that's the one thing that I think us as Halo fans, you and me included have been clamoring for is like, what are you going to do about it now type thing? You know, we know that you guys goofed, but what can you do about it now to fix it? And they're going to tell you what they're going to do about it. And I think that's what, from everything I've seen, that's what everyone that, you know, I talk to that still plays Halo, that's what everyone's kind of clamoring for. They just want to be, they just want transparency. They just want honesty. And that's what they're going to get, you know, from 343, hopefully going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it all just comes down to you honesty and transparency like we preach so much on the show that it's like i think that's why like i think so many people are once they announced this delay so many people were just like yes that's okay that's 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 good we could tell that this game is not ready like you know my dad always used to anytime i was in trouble and I try to like weasel my way out of it as a kid or whatever, you know, he'd always say, and this is more so a saying when I got to be a teenager, he's like, listen, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Like you can't pull, you can't pull the wool over someone's eyes like that. When it's clear as day, something isn't right. And mm-hmm. if the biggest thing that, you know, especially you, and I, I give you all the credit for literally every week on the show, anytime we'd bring up Halo Infinite, leading up to that gameplay reveal, you're like, this game is not coming out. This game is not coming out for fall 2020 or the release or, you know, launching with the Xbox series. Like it is going to get delayed and me being like, well, which is usually the case, but clearly anything can happen. Traditionally launch games don't get delayed. Like that just doesn't happen, but you were right. And you were like, no, this game is not ready. And what do you know? It wasn't. And the amount of time that, you know, we were going into that and it's like, man, you know, certain games. Okay, cool. Bethesda usually likes to play it close to the belt. Bethesda properly, Bethesda game studios, when they reveal their games, like they like to do it at most six months out or something like that, where, you know, the, they like to reveal gameplay and everything at once. So they could start rolling out marketing and yada, yada. I get that. But for a game like Halo that was announced two years before that, where you're shown nothing, Two trailers, that's it. No screenshots, no anything, just two cinematic trailers that it's like, okay, there's got, you gotta, if if we're supposed to be, if we're a fan base that's supposed to be investing in this game day one, and you're wanting to make sales day one, and specifically if this is going to be a free-to-play game, 
in terms of its multiplayer and things like that where you're relying on people for this to be their number one game like you're you're talking to the people who bought to buy you know three games a year or whatever one to three games a year you're talking to them to get you to buy this game like and this be that ecosystem they sink their time into you got to give them something and knowing that we didn't get anything that clearly just says already like okay something is wrong like something is mm-hmm. just wrong with this game and all you have to do is just be upfront and honest and granted that falls on microsoft too not just 343 because i'm sure microsoft is also saying like no 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 we this game is supposed to be selling our console like we're not uh, until the sink ships we're not going down like i get it but just on this stuff alone like it just seems so refreshing already and i think it seems like a lot of things with 343 have come to a head leading up to that gameplay reveal and after and i don't want to say some of the fat has been trimmed and some of the things that needed to happen a while ago probably happened and we're probably seeing that now that i think the 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 view of this game seems so much in a much brighter light than before now that after that delay after some of the you know internal movements whether that's coming in leaving whatever you know it just seems like at before this game was a game like and i still think it is to a degree but this is a game that just flat out needs to succeed because this is probably 343's last chance at taking halo and i would have never thought that after even after halo 5 i was like you know what no like this is going to be this may be their this may be halo's last chance at halo becoming a game you know but no this is a two-pronged thing now that this may be 343's last chance at really making halo games in a proper fashion that i think microsoft sees that writing more so than ever that they made these moves to make this happen and transparency goes along with that having joseph Stain come out and do a whole blog post of saying no this is how we're going moving forward in december saying this like this is what this is how to expect information about this game i'm being straight up with you it didn't fucking work before for what we were trying to present we heard you we're tackling it this is what we're doing here's new screenshots here's how we're handling this here's how we're handling that expect this type of information every month moving forward type of thing so to me, that solves so much because then not only are you getting, no, granted, release dates have to happen and artistic vision, you know, committing to that on a developer end, I will always support whether it be something maybe I don't like or whatever, but it is what it is. But at the end of the day, if it's things that come out, whether it involves gameplay and gameplay aspect that's for competitive or anything along those lines that, you know, you want that fan information. You want your community to give you that like feedback on. It's just so easy. Just ask them, like bring that up. And that's for the longest time, Mike, I, I really do applaud you for saying like, no, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. Like you need to be upfront with us. You need to tell us stuff. You need to let us know. So then we could tell you like, okay, I get what you're trying to do. That's totally fine. But doing that causes this. Why don't we address this and so the game, you know, there isn't this big of a drastic thing from X, Y, and Z. Like, that's the communication that's to be open on it. And I'm glad that it seems like it's moving that way because I think more and more open communication within games, especially in games that are eventually going to be live service based, like Halo Infinite, is only going to be better. It only makes the communities grow longer and the games become better versions of themselves. So I applaud it. I'm ready to see more of what comes out. I'm still excited for this game, but... Anywho, Mike, 
It's going to do it for our articles this week. But before we wrap up, let's head into Party Chad. This is where we propose one question at the end of each week at the end of the show where we want to just discuss could be as simple as what's your favorite story beat in the game or what you've been playing during the pandemic and quarantine and all that horrible shit or it could be a little more in depth as to why the negative stigma around gaming exists or something like that and after answering the question ourselves we'll kick it over to you to tweet your responses to the question over on our twitter at gpgc podcast or email us at bonus accessory at gmail and we'll read some of the responses the following week last week's question what is one well i didn't have that on my bingo card of x year prediction for 2021 that we want to make uh and ethan w wrote in our email saying elden ring will provide actual tie-ins to all of from software Soulsborne games cementing a shared universe between them i like that one that's pretty good i've always thought there would be but they haven't really i think said you know something one way or another ethan you probably know more than me but i'm not a big souls guy I digress, though. Mike, this week's question. At the end of 2021, what percentage of Xbox Game Pass users will be mobile-only users? That means they don't play on uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, S, whatever. They don't play on PC. They buy Xbox Game Pass and use it to play, like, Xbox games via Game Pass on mobile only. That's all they do. What percentage of subscri- subscribers do you think will fall in that, into that account? Wow. That's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've been speechless twice to this show, and I think listeners of the show, if you guys have been here for a while, you would know that <laughs> that's not often the case. I <laughs> usually always have something to say, and uh, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. I would say, personally, oh, holy shit. Um, so are we talking like, stadia on the computer on the tv mobile or are we talking genuinely just on just on mobile ipad whatever like because i know game pass i know uh xbox did say that they found a way to make it work with ios in terms of you know going via web browser i think is what they're going to focus on but yes we're talking android devices ios devices the works like that and a mobile phone ipad etc a mobile device compared to a pc or a console all right i'm gonna keep it a buck with you okay all right i have a little bit of insider knowledge on this not like 100 percent insider trading or anything crazy right but i have a little bit of knowledge on this and simply like this comes purely 100 off the fact that my employer i don't want to give very much i i I won't say much more about it, but I will say that the increase in 5G capabilities and the increase in 5G just being a a bit more widely accessible, if you will, Mm -hmm. it's 100% going to cause an uptick in the fact that mobile gaming and streaming is going to be a lot more possible Mm -hmm. just simply because internet speeds are going to get much better or internet speeds are already much better. Mm Mm-hmm. But because of basically the increased bandwidth speeds, the increased ping, the increased download upload speed, 5G, being able to be on 5G out and about, especially if you're in inner inner city, you'll actually be able to play games online on mobile. So I think it's going to be higher than most people would think. Mm-hmm. I'm only willing to go up to 30%. See, I know. Think- actually, I think it's actually going to probably be less. I would say probably 20% and below, mm-hmm. but it's going to be, well, mobile only. Oh, shit. 
<laughs> I'm going to go, I guess, 10. 10%, I would say. That's what I was going to go. I was going to go 8. Like 8%. And I think for 2021. After that, when 5G becomes like an actual, like you're saying, a staple and really becomes like a viable it's easily accessible for everyone who, you know, who really wants it, I guess, or, you know, has a mobile device, they can get 5G access in terms of having a smartphone or whatever, which literally everyone does now. But, you know, having access to that at a very, like, viable level within the next couple of years, yeah, it's going to go up much more than that. I'm going to say for 2021, though, I'm going 8%. So I we're in the same boat for the most part. Like, I think it is 10% or below. Um, I, I think more than that for 2021, maybe stretching it, but because I still think it's still viewed as a, hey, yeah, this is just a nice throw in in terms of the mobile access um, that most people are playing console or PC. But still, it's still nonetheless like I it, there's still people out there who do that. I'm sure working professionals who have kids or whatever. And hey, I ride the bus to work, you know, whenever obviously it's going to be safe to do that again. Uh, in a very normal manner, but like I ride the bus to work. I got a half hour each day that I could play games or an hour, you know, there and back or whatever. So I agree. It's going to be low, but Mike, I think that's going to do it for our episode this week. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs to talk about all things gaming, including whether we're talking about the Vicarious Visions Blizzard stuff, whether we're talking about IO Interactive and the Bond title coming up or Halo Infinite. Where can people find you on the interwebs to talk about all the nerdy stuff we love to talk about? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at T-O-I-S-X-L-D-I-E-R. Or you can find me on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier. Nice, nice. And as always, I'm your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis on most internet platforms, including at Travis underscore on Twitter. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore on Twitter. And you can also find me streaming time to time on Twitch.tv slash Travis underscore, same as Twitter. And if you want to play some video games with me over on Xbox Live, you could do so at just regular Travelist. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S. And this, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversation around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So, be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz wherever you get a podcast at, and follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay update with everything regarding the show, video games like and our dope giveaways. With that, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for our episode this week. Mike, it's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Game on, wash your hands, listen to the doctors, Black Lives Matter, and we will see you next week.